Uh, the different uh, fruits of the Spirit. I, I use fruits plural. It's actually singular. Um, so let me bring you up to speed. If you're new, or if this is the first time you'll, or first time in a couple of weeks, then let me catch you up. Uh, when we are born, we are born sinners. Uh, we don't, no one has to teach a child to lie. No one has to teach someone to steal. No one has to teach someone to be selfish. We are born that way. We automatically are, are, are brought up that way. That's the root, if you will. And what happens is God wants a better way for us. And, and so because of sin, when sin came into the picture, God created a perfect world. Sin came into the picture, ruined everything. So God made a way to deal with the issue of sin. And what he did was he came to this world as a baby, God wrapped in flesh. He lived here 33 years. He died on a cross sinless so that he could pay for our sins, so that he could take care of that sin issue with us. And he offers to everyone the opportunity to put their faith and trust in him and become a Christian. And he's not going to force you to do that. That's your call. That's your choice. Um, when you do put your faith and trust in Christ, when you trust him for your eternal destiny and Trust him as a way to live your life. What he does is he takes that root that has grown up in your life, that selfish, sinful lifestyle, and he chops it off. And he puts or grafts onto it himself. We call it the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We still have that root stock. Okay? That's still there. So in our life, just like when you graft a new plant onto a root stock, the roots still want to come up and produce things known as suckers in the plant world. And you have to continually prune those off. Because if you don't, they will take strength away from whatever you have grafted on. And it's the same way in our Christian life. God has grafted himself onto our life and he said, look, these are the things that I'm going to give you the ability now to, to produce. These are the fruits that you can now produce. You can produce the fruits of, and here's what he has, the love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, I'm going to go King James, uh, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. He says you can't have too much of any of this stuff. Um, there's no law, there's no limit on how much of this stuff you can have. But God said, look, I'm going to graft onto your life the ability to have these things. Now whether or not you cultivate them, whether or not, you, you don't have to go and pray for them, they're already there, you just have to cultivate them, you just have to continue to take care of them and develop them in your life. And so they're actually one fruit with nine aspects to it, but we're going to kind of look at them as different fruits just because that's a little easier for us. So last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about the idea of love, that God gives you the ability to love in spite of circumstances and the way people treat you. That love is others' focus. That love is the ability to look past someone's stuff and love them regardless. And we talked about the way that God loves us. And so this idea of love, and we talked about the sucker that's going to come up, the rootstock is fear. And we talked about the idea that in your life, Satan will continually try to bring up fear. The way you deal with fears, the unknown, the, the questions, is love. As you learn to love God and love others, then you become less afraid of them. We talked about how if someone's your enemy, you fear them. But Christ taught to love your enemies um, because love does away with fear. 
okay? And so we, we talked about that. Um, and we talked about love being kind of tied into the, especially the next two that we're going to look at. And this morning, um, we're going to look at the issue of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and then the second thing that he mentions is joy. So this morning, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about joy, and we want to talk about, uh, let's, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to understand joy in a regular world context, and then I want to look at it in a Bible context, and then I want to look at it from a practical thing of how we work it into our lives this week. So let's talk about joy, um, first of all, just from a purely human perspective, all right? There are only two sources of joy, internal and external. That's it. Now, the problem is you and I and our culture associate joy. Some of the things that we think are joy are really not joy. They're happiness, and there's a difference, okay? And we're going to talk about that. Let's talk about external first. There are external things that produce joy, right? So you think about it for a minute. Um, in your life, there are certain things that drive you that produce, and, and you're going to call it joy, we're going to call it joy, but the reality of it is, is happiness. You know, you get a new car, you're happy. And then the payments start, okay? Uh, you, get, you get a new whatever, you know, you go and you buy a new tool. You know, the, you know last night I ordered a new tool, um, and, and it'll be there this week, and when it comes, I'm going to be really happy about it because... It's going to save me a lot of work. Um, and, and, you know, you can do it manually or, or I can do it with a machine. And so I got a little machine to do it. And so it, it's going to, it's, uh, there's going to be tremendous joy when I fire that thing up for the first time. And then when I go to fire it up and it doesn't work, then it's not going to be so joyful. Because, you see, things produce, we call it joy. It's really happiness, right? You know, you come home. You sit down, your dog jumps up on your lap, and you're happy, you know, um, until you're trying to do something and that dog's in the way, and then you, you know, out, you know, move, get out of the way. You, know, you follow what I'm saying in our external? Here's the thing. The external things, and, and this is how you remember it, the external things are depend on what happens. Happiness depends on happenings, Right? What happens in your life can produce happiness. We call it joy, but it's really not joy. It's just happiness, okay? And, and, and we need to understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're going to see that when we get to the Bible part of it. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless you take it outside of its context, and then, then you get in trouble. Um, teenagers, here's, here's where um, you're going to struggle. Particularly seventh, you know, that junior high to high school thing. You're happy when um, your peers, your, your fellow group, um, approves of you. And so you're going to run around trying to get people to like you, you know. Uh, you know, if somebody doesn't respond to your Instagram post, your Instagram picture right away, or doesn't like it, or whatever. You know, you live for that kind of thing. And, and, and if you're not careful, what happens is... <clears throat> You're always trying to, to, to chase that next wave, so to speak. You know, you watch, I watch this with adults. You know, they're always trying to chase that next, that next thing that's going to make them happy. Um, and if you try to produce joy that way, what you're going to find is it's exhausting. Because you're always working towards trying to get a circumstance or a group of people 
or, a, or things lined up in order to give you that, that, that emotional high, so to speak. <laughs> when we talk about joy as a Christian, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that, is, that comes from within inside. It's internal. It is, and this is important, it is not dependent on circumstances. It is not dependent upon people, and it's not dependent upon things. It's this inner confidence that um, no matter what I'm dealing with, it will be okay. Um, God's in control. I, I, I will be all right with this. And it doesn't matter necessarily what my circumstances are or what things I have or what problems or issues I'm coming up against because I know it'll be okay. So that, when we talk about joy, that's really what we want to emphasize is it's not, it's not focused on the past. It's not focused on what's going to happen in the future. It's that continual presence that it's okay. That we're not going to, we're going to, it's linked really close to peace that we're going to talk about next week. But there's just that confidence that, you know what, um, I can still, and here's our idea, rejoice, and we're going to get to that word in a second, um, because it'll be all right. I, 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 can, I can have joy. Um, here's what's interesting. Listen to this passage. This is what uh, Paul says to the Romans. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, although we do that, and we're going to do that today. But of righteousness, peace, joy. In the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of, you know, when God saved you, when he grafted himself onto you, he wants you to be able to have a life of joy. <clears throat> I am a firm believer. Christians ought to be fun people. I mean, we got everything going for us. And so, you know, I, I mean, we get... We get the idea sometimes that, you know, oh, we shouldn't have fun as Christians. But no, God designed us that way. And as people of joy, we should have a good time. We should be able to enjoy it. Um, listen, to the, listen to the Bible. Let's jump into the Bible part of it for a second. In the Old Testament, the word joy, rejoice, that kind of idea, uh, it's used 165 times. Okay? There are four different ideas. There are four different words in the Hebrew language that have the idea of joy. Let me give you the background behind it. One of them has the idea of bright and shining. It's the idea of, you ever seen a little kid on Christmas Day when he comes down and he sees the presents underneath the tree or she sees the presents underneath the tree? And then when they start to open them up and their eyes start getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's like, that's, that, that's one of the words. That's one of the words that it uses in the Old Testament. It's that idea of, of excitement, of of anticipation of, of over-excitedness, if you will. Another idea is the idea of leaping and jumping. Um, kind of like what happened when the guy in the, old, in the New Testament got saved. He just starts jumping around, like, kind of like a crazy person. That, that's actually one of the ideas. Uh, there's another idea in the Old Testament that's this. It's, it's literally shouting. So it's the idea of making a lot of noise. And the other idea... And this is the one that I think is a little wild, but it's the idea of running around in circles like a crazy person. Um, I watched this yesterday. We had Claire. We, we, where the kids been moving, we've been taking Claire so they can get some stuff done at the house and stuff like that. And so she decided, we're, we're in the living room, and we don't have a big living room, but we got a, a little open area in the middle. 
And she starts running around in a circle just as fast as she can. And I'm sitting in my chair, I'm thinking, well, let's make this fun. And so I'd say, Claire, stop. And she'd stop. I said, now turn around. She'd turn around. I said, now run in the other direction. Because I'm thinking, you know, if I get her dizzy enough, she's going to fall over. Because um, if she keeps going the same direction, she might. And so that, now I'm playing this game with her. It's like, okay, stop. Go the other direction. She couldn't quite get it down because she kept always running in the same direction. But it was, it was fun to watch. That's the idea. That is the idea. That's one of the Old Testament ideas behind the idea of joy. So it's this idea of um, just excitement, if you will. When you get to the New Testament, it's, the word's not used as often. It's used, uh, let me see here, uh, 59 times in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's linked to the idea of grace. And often you see the idea of grace, peace, joy. You see all of those kind of come together often in Scripture. Um, but it has this idea of um, I, a result. It's, it's a result of understanding what God's done for me. Um, that it's grace and he's been so good to me. Uh, that, that, that's one of the ideas. You see joy in the life of Christ. Um, when they want to keep little children away from him and he says, no, 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 bring them here. Uh, you see it, by the way, the first miracle. The first miracle is done at a wedding. And that, you need to understand, um, meals and weddings in, in the New Testament time, in the Bible time, I mean, these were like long events. Uh, a typical meal in, a, in, in, a, in, in that culture, uh, a supper meal, I mean, it was a couple hour event. A wedding, that was a couple of days of eating and drinking and dancing and all of that kind of stuff. And just everybody excited for the bride and groom. I mean, it was a long, long event. The idea is that, you, and, and so when Jesus decides to do his first miracle, he picks a wedding. An incredible, joyous time. When Jesus is born, do you remember what the angels came and said to the shepherds? Fear not. Fear not because I bring you good tidings of great joy. This is a joyous event, guys. He stops the shepherds on the hillside. And this is an incredible thing of, of great joy. The early Christians were marked by joy. Um, it, is, it is said of them. Now, here's, here's the thing that um, I, I, we want to wrestle with. And we talked a little bit about this kind of idea in Sunday school. But um, the Bible has this concept of being able to enjoy things. All right? Uh, literally, our word, our English word, enjoy, Middle English word, to enjoin, to participate with joy, to bring joy into the picture, if you will. <clears throat> um, here's the thing. God created us with the ability to enjoy external things. Okay, so, so just think about this for a second. Let's just talk about today, okay? When we leave here, what are we going to do? We're going to go eat. Okay, now, now, now just stop and ask yourself what we're about ready to do. We're about ready to go to a table full of food. And we get to look at that food, and we get to pick which food we want. We pick that food based on the color, the texture. We pick that food based on what we know about it. For instance, we know this is sweet. We know this is sour. We know this is uh, salty. We know this is hot. 
Um, we, we, I, I have asked, and so far we've always done it, that whenever we have liver and onions, it is clearly labeled. Okay? Because some of you are liver and onion people. You're like, oh, I love liver and onions. I'm not one of those people. Okay? Um, th- those are in the category of veggie burgers for me. But, I mean, um, it's not my thing. If the, you like it, awesome. No, it's not my thing. But you, you get to, now think about it for a minute. Why did God do that? Why did God give you a tongue that can differentiate between salt and sweet and sour and hot and food that is hot and cold? Why did God do that? Why did God create us that way? Because God designed us to be able to enjoy, to be able to appreciate food. I mean, he didn't have to do that. He could have said, everything's going to taste the same. He didn't do that. He created us with those abilities, but the whole goal is this. He created us with those abilities so that that external joy could be internalized into, God, thank you for doing this for me. Think about it for a minute. Why is it that you can see color? Why didn't God just make everything black and white? Everything that you see, we all came in today and you either had black or white. That was it. That was the whole color palette. Every flower, black or white. Why did he give us all different kinds of flowers? Why didn't he just say, okay, there's one flower. This is what it's going to look like. Boom, that's it. One bird, pigeon. That's it. You know, one kind of pig, one kind of cow. Why? Why did God do that? Why did God give us variety? Why did God give us why did God give us hot and cold, summer, winter, fall, spring? Because God wanted us to enjoy the created world because the created world should remind us that we serve an incredible God. That we serve a God of variety. That we serve a God who it's okay for things to be different. Everything doesn't have to be the same. It reminds us, it should remind us of God. That's why God designed us. So there's this ability to enjoy the things that God has done for us. And the purpose is to see God in those things. So that's, you know, that's part of it. You know, uh, um, again, we had Claire yesterday. And so if I have my grandkids, I mean, I already started this. You know, she's three and a half. This is the rule of our house. If you're there and grandpa has a job, you're working beside grandpa. So. I said, hey, i got to go clean out my van. Come on, Claire, you can help me clean out my van. She now knows what a bungee cord looks like um, and which bucket to put it in. And so I wasn't paying attention, and I stepped on a frog. Now, you need to know. Frogs in me are like flies. I mean, it's just like no big deal. It's a frog. Not two or three-and-a-half-year-old. And it was major crisis. You know, and it was fortunately... God brought it back to life, <laughs> and it kept on moving, you know, but it stunned it for a moment, and I thought, oh, no, how are we going to deal with this already? But, uh, yeah, but it was one thing, why? Because she sees the world differently than I do at my age, you know? And that's, that's what's great about it, to, to appreciate the idea that God created us like this, okay? So, there, so, so you need to understand, I'm not saying the external things are not, don't have value, But I'm saying when you live for the external things and the joy doesn't internalize into what God is doing, you're missing the boat. 
And so we have to understand that. Now, here's the, here's the tension that's amazing. And I want to say this. I, 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 don't, I don't say what I'm going to say lightly, okay? Um, if you know the stories of the people here, you know that this is a congregation, this is a group of people here who understand hurt at levels that very few people do. This is a congregation who... Um, the stories of what people have been through here um, are deep and hard and harsh. This isn't a um, go-be-happy kind of congregation. This is a congregation that has carried some really heavy stuff and still come out faithful and consistently serving God. Okay? Um, so I, I want to say that right off the bat. But one of the struggles that you come up against when you talk about joy is... How can I have joy in, with the circumstances that I have in my life? I mean, doesn't God love me? Doesn't God care about me? Why has God allowed this? Okay. Um, I want to go to a passage in Roman. Before I do, let me give you the background. Paul doesn't say this lightly. Paul is talking to a group of people, Christians at Rome, who are dying because they called themselves Christians. They're taking these people, they're going into their homes, they're hauling them out, they're putting them in jail, and for fun... They're throwing them into a big arena where people pay money to come in and watch either uh, soldiers kill them. Um, in some cases, they let, they, they let lions come in and, and, and eat them. In some cases, they, they're taking their friends and neighbors and fellow Christians and they're tying them to a post and they're pouring tar over top of them and they're lighting them on fire alive. So when Paul writes this, Paul isn't writing this to a group of people who everything's hunky-dory. Okay? So with that in mind, listen to what he says. Here's what he says. He starts by saying this. Not only so, but we glory, we have joy in our sufferings. Now he's going to now make the tie between joy and suffering. And he, 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 Let me tell you something. That's a big jump. By any means. Because you know, what, you know what the root stock that wants to come up instead of joy is? Despair and hopelessness. And see, if, God, if Satan can get you to get in despair or hopeless, you will not be able to have joy. And so Paul writes here and he says, listen, you can have joy in your suffering. And here, now he's going to give you the process. Because we know. That suffering, difficulties, hardships produce perseverance. When you're struggling, when you're going through a hard time, you have to learn to get up every day and go through the day, regardless of your circumstances and your situation. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you want to do, you force yourself to get up and make it another day. You force yourself to try to find meaning and value in that day. You force yourself to get up and say, you know what? I would rather just crawl in a ball in a corner and stay there all day. But I can't. And you make yourself get up, and you make yourself eat when you don't, want to feel, when you don't feel like eating, and you make yourself get dressed, and you make yourself do things. That's perseverance. You keep plugging away day by day, hour by hour, regardless of the circumstances. 
Paul says, when you go through suffering, that's what you do. That's how you handle it. And he noticed what he said. And perseverance, after you do that for a while, what does it start to produce? Character. It starts to produce an attitude that says, you know what? I need to do this. And you do that day after day after day after day, and it starts to produce character. And then notice what he says. And character produces what? Hope. Hope. See, that's the opposite of joy. See, Satan wants to keep you in the suffering part of the equation. God wants to say, look, I understand sufferings come in. You need to get up and go on and go through the thing and do it day after day after day. And it'll produce character, and that will start to give you hope. Um, I'm watching a series right now. It just started, um, and I love this kind of stuff anyway. Uh, undercover billionaire. I don't know if you know, are aware of this thing or anything like that. I'm, I, I tell you what, I'm almost the opinion every 17-year-old, uh, it's only had one show so far. I'm almost the opinion of forcing, if I can figure out a way to force every 17 and 18-year-old to watch this thing so far. It's about a guy, he's worth over $2 billion. He believes, so far, he believes, and I understand reality TV, I understand all that, okay? But um, they put him on his corporate jet, they dropped him off. They could not, he did not know where he was going to go. They gave him a cell phone with no contacts, $100, and a pickup truck. And he has 90 days to create a million-dollar business. And so for the first week, he slept in his truck. Okay? And it was winter, and it was like 17 degrees. Um, and it's just fascinating to me to watch because... He, as he goes through it, he shares principles, you know. And one of the principles is, just when you, th- at one point he was down to like six bucks. And he's like, just when you think it's the worst, you keep plugging away. That's how you get there. You keep plugging away. And, and, and this is what we're talking about. It's the idea of, look, he says, look, it produces ultimately hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Again, we go back to love now that we talked about two weeks ago. Paul says, look, you need to understand, even in difficult times, you can have joy. Because joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. All right? Now, I, I know what I'm saying is hard for some of you because you go, you're not in my world. You know, you, you've got this perfect little world that you live in. Um, a... Uh, come and live in my world, and you'll find out it ain't so perfect. You know? It's probably better than yours, but it's not a perfect world either. A lot of it has to do with your attitude and how you approach life. Okay? Um, Listen to this. Listen to this passage, and then this is what I think is a key. Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. Have joy. And before you two, some of you really struggle here, and I get this. You know, it's like, you know, my circumstances are so overwhelming. This isn't what I planned. It's not the life I had figured out. Blah, blah, blah. How do you expect me to have joy? And here, here's my challenge to you. So I want to just talk to you first for a minute before I get into practical application for all of us. When Paul wrote this, Paul's in prison. Paul's not writing this in some fancy house. Paul's in prison when he writes this. 
And what's fascinating is the book of Philippians is a book about joy. Um, 19 times in four chapters, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice or some form of it. Okay? So that basically comes down to about five times every chapter. Um, is it 19 or 16? I've got to... Uh, oh, 16 times. I'm sorry, 16. I knew that didn't sound right. 16 times. So four times every chapter, he says joy. Here's what's fascinating. He uses the word Christ. 51 times. So Paul teaches very clearly that joy in Christ and your attitude towards Christ are linked. Okay? And so Paul spends the entire book talking about joy and Christ and how they're connected to different situations. So there's four chapters in Philippians. Each chapter deals with one group or one thing that will rob you of joy. So in chapter one, here's what he talks about. Chapter 1, he says circumstances. If you're not careful, your circumstances will suck the joy right out of your life. And so Paul deals with it in, and one of the things that he's going to say is he's going to say, so the attitude you have to have is for me to live as Christ to die as gain. He tells you how to combat that attitude of, of circumstances. When you go, well, my circumstance should be this, and, you know, and I know so-and-so, and here's the thing. Think about this for a second. When was the last time you compared your life to somebody who had it worse than you? This happens every time somebody goes to a mission trip on a third world country. They come back and they complain a whole lot less. I don't care where you go, you go to a third world country, you will come back and, and you're, all your first world problems are ridiculous. You actually feel guilty for feeling, for, for feeling bad about your circumstances. You know, we always compare it to somebody who has it better, not somebody who has it worse. And Paul says, look, the attitude, you know how you deal with it? You know how you have joy in the midst of your circumstances? You change your attitude and you say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So Paul's sitting in prison. He goes, here's the way it goes. If they kill me because of my Christianity, by the way, he's in Rome when he's writing this, where they are killing Christians. If they kill me, for me to live is Christ. I get to share the gospel with more people. And if I die, I'm in heaven with Christ. That's a win-win for me. Instead of going, woe is me, I tried to serve God, and I plugged away, and I did faithful to him for all these years, and this is the way he treats me, he puts me in prison. No, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. My circumstances, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He gets to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, here's what he talks about. He talks about the idea of people. <laughs> You people will suck the joy right out of your life. I, I call them joy suckers. I mean, have you ever been around these people? You know, you can be in the best of moods and you come in and they, they are like the most depressing, overwhelming, just want to suck the life right out of you kind of people. You know, and you walk in and you go, how you doing? Oh, you know, and it's just so hard to be around those kind of... You know what I'm talking about? And Paul says, look, those people, if you're not careful, will suck the joy right out of your life. You know what he says in chapter 2? He says, you know what kind of mind you have? Again, it comes back to your attitude. You have the mind of Christ. And you serve other people. You esteem others better than yourself. 
You look at it as an opportunity to try to minister to them. That's what you do. You don't allow them. You come home, and it's been a great day. And your spouse, you know, we have it hanging in our house, so I'm not, it's not like I'm, you know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You want to know what the Bible, you want to know how we approach it biblically? If mama ain't happy, that's mama's problem, because dad's still going to be okay. I'm not going to let other people rob me of joy. You just figure out how to, how to serve them. You esteem them better than yourselves. And you put them in front of you, like we talked about, for love. And then their actions don't impact and rob you of your joy. That's what Paul said. You get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is fascinating. It talks about things. Um, why do we let things rob us of joy? I mean, you think about it. What broke this past week or two that you lost a lot of sleep over? And you were all upset because it broke. I mean, you know, you get it. It happened to me two weeks ago. Um, now, I, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just telling you my world, I'm trying to be real and kind of authentic. Uh, my wife and I have three cars, and we have more than that, but we have three cars that we use pretty consistently. I actually have four, but I've been banned from using it by my wife and my children, so they won't let, they, they're like, Dad, let it go, let it go. And I'm like, but it still runs. And they're like, let it go, Dad. You know, it's, it's, it's seen it, it's 2001. I still love to drive it, but I finally, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to take it to the junkyard one day. It'll be a very hard day for me, but I haven't driven it now for a couple months. So anyway, but I get into one because I hadn't driven it so long, the battery was down. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I can't believe, I got so much stuff to do, and now I got to deal with the battery. Wait a minute. Really? It's not like I had to walk. I had to go over, get the battery charger, which was 20 feet away, plug it in, wait a few minutes, get it charged enough to fire it up and go. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I can't believe this happened to me today. Doesn't God love me? You know, how dare this happen? Come on. The stuff we get all bent out of shape, the things that bother us, first world problems for most of, of, the, of the world. Instead of looking at it, and here's what Paul said, you know, or, or I get people who, it's focused on, I can't believe so-and-so was able to get that new car. You know, I mean, God must love them more than they love me because God didn't give me a new car and blah, 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 blah. And how dare they? Here's what Paul said. Paul said, look, I've learned contentment no matter where I am. Paul said, I've had times when I've eaten like a king, and I've had times where I didn't have any food. I've had times where I've lived in really nice places, and I'm in a cell right now. I've learned that in whatever state I am, I'm going to be content. I'm not going to play the game of wanting more things or wanting less things when I have things great and when I don't have things. That's why I say, when I tell people to come back off the mission field, look, don't feel guilty for what you have. For whatever reason, God has been good enough and gracious enough to give you those things. Just stop complaining about it. You know, for whatever reason, God put you in this country and gave you the resources that you have here. That, that was God's choice. He did that for you. But don't keep going around complaining because you don't have as much as the next guy. Paul said, learn to whatever state you are. You want joy? Learn to whatever state you are. Be content with what you've got. 
And then the last chapter, that's one of my favorite, chapter 4. You know what he talks about chapter 4? Worry. Worry. He said, stop being anxious for everything. Stop running around being so worried about Worry will rob you of so much joy. Well, what if this happens? What if... <laughs> joy is sourced in God. It'll be okay. You're like, are you saying you shouldn't plan for... No, you make plans for the future. We're, we're talking about... We're going to be talking about our, our vacation next summer in the next couple of months. I have no problem planning for the future. But I'm not going to knock myself out worrying about it. Are you ready for this? We're going to have elections and somebody's going to get elected. And I'm going to like some of them and I'm not going to like the other ones. I'm not going to lose sleep over the thing. I mean, but we get people who get so worried and so anxious about all of this stuff. Well, what if this happened? This happened. Newsflash. Control is an illusion. You're not in control. You're not in control. God is. And when you live life like I do, where I have a front row seat to people's lives, here's what you learn. One heartbeat, one breath, your world changes overnight. You want to spend all of your time, again, I'm, I'm not against planning. You know, went down, we worked out all kinds of things with my mom, I spent two days working with, you know, the future and all. I'm not against it, but, but you don't lose sleep and worry about it. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. God, look, this is bothering me. You're in charge. You take care of it. And Satan will bring up that worry thing so it can rob you of joy every time. Satan will try to get you. So here's, here's my challenge to you. If you, some of you really struggle with this issue of joy, here's my challenge. If you're a good reader, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read all four chapters of Philippians every day this week. All four chapters. Every day. Between now and Sunday. If you're not a really good reader and you're not good with the Bible thing or everything, here's what I want you to do. Read one chapter a day. Start in chapter one today, then do two tomorrow, three, four, and then do one, two, three, and actually next Sunday you get eight days in, you'll, get, you'll, get, you'll have read Philippians twice. And just say, here's all you got to do. You gotta, I don't know how to do the Bible. Here's, here's how you do the Bible thing. You open your Bible up and you go, okay, God, this ain't my thing. Help me out. And read a chapter. I guarantee you something will stick out. Every time, something will stick out. God's not going to take his child who wants to learn about him and his word, and you go, well, I'm a really, really poor reader. Get a translation that's easy. Talk to me. We we find all kinds of, there's all kinds of tools out there. Um, Alexa will read your Bible to you. I don't know if you know that. Um, You know, know, Alexa will read your Bible to you. You know, there's all kinds of options for you today in 2019. But I just want to challenge you, because I know this is a real struggle. Because we let, we get, look, there is no reason we shouldn't be the most joyful people in the world. We've been given so much. And it doesn't matter about our circumstances, even if we had a little. That's the thing that amazes When you go to a third world country, here's what's going to amaze you. If you ever get the chance to go, they are happy people. And they don't have diddly. Because it's not about stuff. It finds something else. And, and I just want to challenge you with this idea that, look, we've got to get to the point that we stop letting people and things and everybody else and worry rob us of joy. So let's talk practical application and I'm done. 
Here's my question. Really simple question for you this week is, are you going to live a life of joy this week or not? Are you going to take a step back and take a look at your life and say, you know what? I don't need to live hopeless and in despair and consumed by these things. Um, do you have real joy? Something that comes from within. Something where you can know, you know what, my circumstances are not the best right now, but you know what, God's in control, it'll be okay. It'll be okay, God, help me to have the right kind of attitude. I'm talking about this calm assurance that no matter what's going on in your life, it will be okay. Um, I don't know what this week holds for me. But here's what I do know, it'll be okay. You know? If my life turns upside down this week, um, will it be hard? Yes, it'll be hard. Will there be a, a root of hopelessness and despair and those kind of things that pop up? Sure, that's Satan's job. Will there be a root that wants to pop up this week to worry about it? Yeah. Will there be a root this week to say that person shouldn't have done this or said this to me? Yeah. Will there be a root this week that pops up, that, that, that shoot that starts to spring up where, where things don't go my way and something that I'm working on doesn't do what it's supposed to do this week? Guarantee it. You know, will there, be, will there be opportunities this week for me to get mad at somebody for the way they handled things? I'm working with my kids two days this week. You answer the question. Sure. Sure there will. How you handle it? With a joy that, you know what, it, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. God, God's in control here. I want to challenge you, because some of you really struggle here. And, and I want to challenge you with trying to look at it that way. For some of you, I want to go a different direction for some of you, and that's this. For some of you, you've lost the joy of life. You, you have gotten to a point that you are running so fast and in so many different directions, you can't even appreciate the things around you. Some of you will eat this week and never enjoy the meal. You'll never enjoy taste and the ingredients that were involved in it. You'll never, you'll, you'll actually go to your garden grab a tomato, slice it up, and eat it, and never really enjoy what happened. That you planted that. That God gave the increase. That God, and you watered it and took care of it and, and did all the things to it, and you got to sit down and enjoy that. I guarantee you, if you had one of those in February, you would enjoy it. Some of you are at the point where, you know, you're like, oh, no, I've got to go out and pick stuff in the garden. You don't even enjoy it. Some of you are like me. Your house is surrounded by flowers. You don't even enjoy them. Again, eyes of a three-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old. You know, Aaron came over to pick her up. Mommy, close your eyes. Close her eyes. And she walks into the kitchen, comes back out. She's got a yellow flower. Appreciating the beauty. Yellow is her favorite color. Yellow flower for her mom. And of course, I'm sitting in a chair and go, where'd you get that? you get that out of Grandpa's garden? She's like, yeah. You know, because she knows she can pick them. 
That's what they're there for, to appreciate it. What, when did we lose that? When did we get sold that that wasn't important anymore? And some of you, you're running so fast. Some of you, you've got a great spouse there and you don't appreciate them. Some of you, you've got opportunities to do things this week and go places and see things. And you don't, you don't appreciate it. You don't even find joy in it. It's just another task off your list. Some of you live in some of the most beautiful areas in this side of the state. You can walk out your front door or walk out your back door and see these incredible views of sunrises when the sun comes up and sunsets. I'd see those. And you don't, you don't even appreciate it. You don't enjoy it. It doesn't bring this sense of, boy, God, that's amazing. You know? Some of you, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're eating sweet corn and you don't even enjoy the, that process. You know? Can I challenge you this week to just stop and try to enjoy part of the week? And bring a little joy back into your life? Because God created you for that. God designed you that way. And as you enjoy those things, you can reflect on the God who created you in such a way to enjoy those things. That's the purpose. I take that which is external and internalize it so that I start to realize, you know what, God? If you care about a frog that I stepped on, you probably care about me too. God, if you took care of all these flowers and all of these what, what they, painted lady butterflies, okay? <laughs> no. in, honestly, in my driveway, I, I, I think I know what the Egyptians felt like during the plague because uh, it just went nuts in our yard. I mean, it, 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 I mean almost like Alfred Hitchcock, the ser- birds, you know, like you know, and then they're everywhere. And it was one of those things. But, you know, God cares about them. God cares about them. He created them. All this variety, all this. Thing. How sad is it that all we can focus on is the way people said something to us, things that went, didn't go right this week, our circumstances, are worried about a bunch of stuff that's probably never going to happen anyway. And we come to the end of a day and we're exhausted and we've just gotten through it and we've had all of these things around us that we've never even stopped to enjoy. When you got saved, Satan wanted you to live a life of despair focused on people and worry and circumstances and things and all that kind of thing. It's because he didn't want you to enjoy this thing at all. God said, I'm going to show you a different way to live. I'm going to cut off that that stuff that's growing. I'm going to graft onto this idea that you can live life in joy. You can rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what people think, no matter what things, no matter what worries I have. I can rejoice in the Lord always. And then it's almost like he goes, hey, by the way, in case you didn't hear it the first time, rejoice. You got it now? Rejoice. Enjoy. Look at what God's done. Because you know what? I think in 2019, as you turn on the TV and you watch the media and you watch all the, all the insane stuff that's happening in this world, 
and people tend more towards hopelessness and despair. A life of joy and a life of love stands out very brightly in a dark world. That's what God wants us to do. So I end with this. A life of joy is not dependent on our situation or circumstances. A life of joy is centered on Christ, not on problems, people, past, or things. It's centered on Christ and allows for a life of contentment regardless of what happens. Let's live joyfully this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's so easy to get off track. so easy to put our focus on things that, Lord, uh, rob us of joy, that keep us from really having a an attitude, Lord, that uh, it'll be okay. That, Lord, you're not going to let us have anything we can't handle. You're not going to, whatever comes our way, you'll give us the grace and the strength to deal with it. So, Lord, may we be people of joy in spite of all of the pressures, Lord, to go the other direction. So use us this week, Lord. May we be lights in a very dark and hopeless world. May they see Christ in us this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.